calling this lunch rounds. This is noon conference, son. Come on down. I see y'all. Sup, man, Joe. Um, Melissa loves the future finally caught alive. See, when it's meant to be, it's just meant to be. So actually, that's an interesting thing. Do we live predestined lives or do we have free will? I'm going to tell you the secret. Who cares? We feel like we have free will. And so that's a real experience. And predestination is a concept. It's an idea in the mind that there's something determining our future. Well, that implies that there's a future, that there's something other than now. And uh, so I would just encourage you to look in your own experience and go, is there actually someone making decisions in real time or are there decisions? And everything is just happening, in which case there really aren't wrong decisions, are there? And there's a kind of lightness and a letting go. And then what's interesting is the right decisions just seem to show up. It's a total paradox. I'm making this shit up. Josh says, what do you think of people still walking around with them on? Are we talking about masks? Um, the whole mask thing is a kind of litmus test for your own politics, isn't it? Or it's a cultural thing. Like in Asia, masks are much more common, especially in the winter. People are now, especially Asian Americans, have had their own cultural tendency more validated by the pandemic. So they're more comfortable wearing masks. So there's there's that. Whenever you see someone doing something that maybe you feel like, hmm, that isn't right, or you're somehow uncomfortable because you're worried that they're gonna make you do that and you don't agree, or you're thinking through it rationally and going, I don't like not being able to read people's lips or see their emotional reactions. And people hard of hearing have trouble with it. And people with certain... Um, learning uh, differences have trouble with it. There's all kinds of stuff, right? So we wanna project onto that person some kind of problem. We wanna go, well, there's something wrong with them that they're either wearing a mask or not wearing a mask, whatever, whatever your bias is, right? Which is not your bias. It's the sum total of all your causes and conditions. You think you're in charge of that. You think you're applying some kind of morality. It gets back to my earlier comment that we are the expression of life itself showing up. And so in healthcare in particular, it behooves us to understand that because it really allows us to show up with a kind of unconditional love that isn't the love of a separate self for another. It's just straight up unconditional acceptance because everything is as it is. So even when someone's annoying you or doing something like they're wearing a mask and you don't like that, what do, so what do I think of that? I think they're expressing the way that they're showing up. If that's based on a misunderstanding of whatever's going on, then that's what it is. If they're ba if it's based on some cultural conditioning, then that's what it is. If it's based on fear, then that's what it is. If it's based on something you may not know about them, like they just came back from chemotherapy and they're immunocompromised and their white count is low and they're neutropenic, then it's that. So. I think the best bet is to show up with an open heart for everything. And if, if you feel like you want to educate or make a point, there are ways to do that that are quite compassionate. Um, but our, you know, continuing our division around this is just not productive. It causes suffering for ourselves. 
Like, I don't want to care about whether someone wears a mask or not because it hurts. It hurts actually. It, it, there's like a feeling tone in the body that sucks when you're worried about what someone else is doing because it's never about someone else. It's always about you, always, 100% of the time. Because that's all we can experience is ourself. That's it. Um, let's see here. It's your own personal choice, what everyone feels comfortable with doing. Yeah, I mean, and it is allowing a certain kind of freedom. Now, I think where people have understandable difficulty is when masks are, say, mandated. Even in healthcare settings, when the data isn't as compelling as we might like it. And this is where my friend Vinay Prasad would really you know, put his foot down and say, we're doing things that are not evidence-based and we're generating fear and we're generating a misapprehension of safety and we're degrading science. So, okay, that's a position and you can argue for that. Um, but again, you don't have to hate the person who doesn't share the position or doesn't understand it, or maybe can't understand it because they don't have the tools to do that kind of analysis. Um, when my brother was born, I was in kindergarten, says Helene. Um, yeah, I wonder what we're talking about. When my brother was born, I was in kindergarten. Oh, I like that though. It sounds like a Zen koan. <laughs> um, hi, Nip. Uh, we still have to wear masks at my hospital, says Karen. Right, and I can see how that's frustrating because you can't see your colleagues' faces, your patients can't see your face. Does it actually protect patients? Does it protect colleagues? I think it has yet to be studied definitively. Doesn't mean it doesn't. Doesn't mean it does. It means that the, the studies that we do have are either not powered correctly, not designed correctly, or simply aren't conclusive in a way that is compelling. Um, and then people will say, well, it's a parachute. You don't study a parachute, it just works. But we don't know that about really anything. Parachutes, sure. Actually, it'd be interesting to do a placebo-controlled trial on parachutes. Yeah, I think I know how that would turn out. That's just simple physics. Um, Arid says, speak out about the 3.0 movement, bringing sense to medicine. Okay. So our healthcare system is an expression of us. Full stop. Our healthcare system is an expression of us. So in the 20th century, healthcare 1.0 was an expression of us at the time. A doctor and a patient in this unfettered, kind of sacred relationship that was a lot based on paternalism, a lot based on kind of trust, intuition of the doctor, and practices that were done based on consensus, based on, um, what's the word? Tradition, this is how we've always done it, and based on the intuition of the individual physician. So these kind of things um, were just how we showed up in the 19th and 20th century as caregivers. That's how it was. And so our healthcare system was like that. You give me money, I take care of you. And in fact, everything I do is a fee for service. So if I, I, I can itemize it like a mechanic and then give you a bill at the end and go, okay, this is what it is. And so 
The tricky part in that Health 1.0 and fee-for-service is that the supply of procedures and op options of things to do generates demand. It's very different than the rest of the economy. The supply generates the demand. It's not a supply-demand interaction. Why is that? Because when a doctor says, you need this treatment, and the patient has no access to information to decide, they trust the doctor. And then the doctor says, and it's gonna cost this, and but they tell you that after the fact. Well, that's not much of a free market. That's not much of a decision. It's not much of standard economics. It's supply creating demand. And so what happens is the more docs you have, the more procedures they're offering, the more it costs. And when you combine that with the fact that you don't actually study whether these things work, but you're going on intuition, consensus, and past experience, which is flawed because humans are subjective, actually everything's subjective, um, well, it becomes problematic. So then you see the downside of that, escalating costs, fraud, um, disparities in equity and in power. So what ends up happening? There's a response to that health 2.0 as people start to enter the information age more and they're looking at processes like Toyota's lean processes uh, of assembly line management and optimizing different points in the assembly line, optimizing work and efficiency to measure and measuring everything along the way to go, okay, well, what are the outputs then? Are we doing well? Is this working? It works great for making cars. They apply it to medicine, that's health 2.0. So now you have an electronic health record, which is more of a measurement tool. It's more of a way to get data and turn the workers into data clerks so that we can then fire up the measurement industrial complex, which is designed to then measure everything so that we can optimize for outcomes based on these measurements, which may or may not actually measure quality. It's very hard to know. So Health 2.0 then turns the physician-patient relationship into more of a commodity. Healthcare professionals are commodities. The doctors are no longer in charge. It's administrators now. And so it, everybody else on the healthcare team, the nurses and the um, PAs and the RTs and the dietitians and everybody else, they're all part of a team, which is great, but everybody is disempowered. <laughs> because they're all serving the needs of the organization, not necessarily the patient, the organization, which his goal is to stay financially viable. So optimizing in that case means getting a lot of patients through as quickly as you can, but their outcomes actually aren't as important because they're hard to measure and you're gonna build them anyways. So patients are commodities, healthcare professionals are commodities, and now there's a new administrative technocracy that is empowered to run the whole thing. They have huge conferences called HIMS and uh, a million other conferences. There are quality conferences. And by the way, I'm not bashing these conferences. They're doing exactly what they're incentivized to do in Health 2.0, and they're doing it with good intention for the most part. So in Health 2.0, then again, you optimize these inputs to try to find outputs, which are technically supposed to be health, but of course we don't know how to measure health because what's the health for a 72-year-old Hispanic male whose hopes, dreams, and, and fears are very different than what you measure in your randomized control trial, which is now the gold standard, but it's often done in 
you know, Caucasian, mostly male populations, and it's not applicable to people who have different goals. They have different goals of care. This person just wants to be able to play with his grandkids. Okay, then why are we worried about exactly what his hemoglobin A1C is? Maybe we should focus on the fact that this drug makes him nauseous or sick and he can't walk, or this drug makes him dizzy and have syncopal episodes. Maybe we should just focus on his general activities of daily life. Don't worry about the length of his lifespan because he's not worried about it and optimize so that he can play with his grandchildren. Well, our health 2.0 is not optimized for that degree of unique patient care. It's optimized to create a Toyota Camry reliably and efficiently. And guess what? It's not even optimized to do that because Health 2.0 hasn't been implemented in a way that even comes close to the standards of making a reliable, reproducible, and excellent Toyota. Because guess what? Healthcare humans are not cars. They're not machines. They aren't. They are psychological, spiritual, biological, dynamic, network, social interactions, energetic interactions that we call bodies. That's, that's a reductionist term. That's not what humans are. You know this. When you sit in a room with a patient, you know that's not a machine. If you're paying attention, you know by the dynamic, you know by the energetics in the room, you know by how it makes you feel in your body when a patient describes their suffering, if you're open, if you haven't shut down. You know how social expectations, you know how psychological uh, trauma, you know how the patient's own interaction with their sense of self, we call that spirituality. I, I don't like spirituality. I think that's nonsense. And I think spirituality keeps us asleep, honestly. It's a bunch of pacifiers. What, what, we're, what is called spirituality, in my opinion, is simply looking at your own conscious experience in this moment and looking and seeing what's there. Is there really a self moving through space and time or is that thought, construction, and energetic? What's really there? Openness, life showing up, everything happening in its right place. Well, now you incorporate that with the psychological history, apparent history of the human, the biological, apparent physical manifestation. There's an energetic manifestation that anyone who's tried um, acupuncture or some of these other modalities, you can't, they're difficult to study. They don't make sense scientifically. And yet people will swear based on placebo that they feel better. What is that? That's not just psychology because you can tell someone it's a placebo. There's an energetic route to reality that this is all energy dancing now that we don't understand. So humans are biopsychosocial, energetic, spiritual creatures and we wanna turn them into a Toyota Camry, how's that gonna work? So I guess what I'm saying is fuck health 2.0. It's true, but partial. And it's where we're all trying to strive to be now. Okay, so what's health 3.0? Health 3.0 is the first emergent that recognizes that humans are biopsychosocial, spiritual, energetic creatures. That the healthcare team is a team where everybody practices at the top of their abilities, supporting each other and the patient in service of not just the patient, that's only a part of the equation, in service of each other and in service of themselves. Because they can't come and show up and be open if their own Maslow's hierarchy isn't met, if they don't have a roof over their head, 
love and support of their community and family, pajama time with their kids, you see? It's one happening, one network. We try to tease it apart, but it's not separable. So Health 3.0 recognizes it's not separable. It's funded differently, okay? You pay to take care of a group of people and do whatever it takes to keep them out of trouble based on them, what they want, which means you need the time, the tools, the teams, and the trust to actually do that. So you put the money there. You recognize and you train people about what is, what is this sort of psycho-spiritual component? Because this patient keeps bouncing back with the same complaints and I give them all the pills and all the tests and all the surgeries. They keep coming back. What are we, what are we missing? And then I send them to psych, but psych is just another separate sliver. What happens when we cross talk as an organism would, when the organs are all communicating together, they're all one happening that are also a diversity of happenings, simultaneously, paradoxically, beautifully, perfectly. That's what we are, that's what this ecosystem is. So why do we think medicine should be different? Well, Health 3.0 doesn't. And that's just the tip of the iceberg of talking about 3.0 because a lot of it brings back that intuitive aspect, but then empowers it with evidence that's well done, empowers it with technology that leverages the human relationship. So when you're talking about AI, it's not a replacement, it's a tool to allow us to do what we do, which is sit in the presence of someone who's suffering, hold the space for them, and use all of our previous training to have it show up at just the right place and time without too much thinking, without too much perseverating, without too much being distracted in thought by being present fully with and for that patient and getting paid to do that. Wouldn't that be something? So that's Health 3.0. I know it's a pipe dream, isn't it? Except that it's happening in fits and starts. Nadine says, thank you. I've always practiced like this and criticized for it until they see the results. That's it. And, and here's the thing I said earlier that our healthcare system is an expression of us. Until we wake the hell up to who and what we are, that we're not separate, that we're not this body-mind, this is just an expression of the whole, when we recognize that we are a whole in ourselves and a part of the whole, well, then our system's gonna change. 3.0 is the natural emergent from humans that are being in the world like that. So in a way, when I talk about waking up, it's the most important thing for healthcare transformation. Because until that happens, we can't, we're still in the old way of being, the old delusion. So we get a system that's delusional, like us. Hey, sorry to interrupt this episode, it's Dr. Z. Just a quick pitch here. If you can just leave a review and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, it helps us a lot. I also wanna hear what you think about this episode when you're done listening. Hello at zdogmd.com. It's the best way for me to hear your voice because the emails come right to me. 
And we don't have a comment section on most podcast platforms. Maybe Spotify has one, but nobody else does. So it really gets your voice involved on episodes, especially that don't have a video. And the third thing is if you want to be a part of this community and support the show, join our supporter tribe, zdogmd.com forward slash supporters. You can join on YouTube, Locals, Facebook, Instagram. You get live videos with me where we're talking about these things in depth, uncensored, and your comments are fully incorporated as in real time. And then we do these Zoom meetings where it's really like a beautiful community where we share our experiences on the awakening journeyless journey. How are we gonna transform ourselves so we can transform healthcare and education and government? Because those systems are epiphenomena of us. Until we wake up, those systems will stay asleep. They'll, they're just an expression of our own delusion. So being a part of that, it supports this message so others can hear it. And it also allows for our own collective growth. So we need each other in that way. It's really, really, really tightly interwoven and interdependent. That's it. Back to your regular schedule, regularly scheduled show. Isaac says, uh, I'm needing a boost to go uh, AEMT um, currently EMTB, eventually will go paramedic. I feel like I don't know enough to go advanced, but I want to be capable of doing what's right for my patient. Any advice? Uh, my advice is you know what you want. Ask yourself, feel into why you want it. And when the answer comes, feel into the body and go, okay, why is there still a discomfort? Or it feels really good. Like, okay, if there's a discomfort, feel into that. What's there? Is there an underlying emotion of shame or unworthiness that's saying, I'm not good enough and I need to do this to be good enough? Or is there a feeling of like just knowing? My expression is, I wanna take care of patients this way and getting this AEMT is the way to do it. So then you feel in the body, what's telling me I can't do it? What's telling me I'm not ready for it? Is that real? Is that really true? Or is that a belief? Is that an energetic conditioning? Is it related to, oh, there comes an image from childhood where I was criticized for not knowing enough or doing something wrong and made to feel a kind of shame, which is at the root of so much of our behavior, is this root of shame. Mm. So what happens when you live an examined life like that? You're constantly mindful of what's going on in the body, what the body's telling you, what your thoughts are saying, what beliefs are there, are they true, questioning everything, and then acting from an authentic expression of what's going on. I know that wasn't the advice you wanted. You wanted me to say, yeah, well, I think the uh, degree is, uh, yeah, I have no clue. But that's the advice I can give you. <laughs> um, let's see. Dr. Hannity says, psychedelics give me hope for people to wake up. Well, psychedelics are like a nice sledgehammer to get people to see who maybe had never had a hope of it because there's so much conditioning. So they can show you a glimpse or more than a glimpse of what reality is, but they come with all kinds of baggage. They can, but man, they're powerful tools when used correctly. So if that's in your journey, then by all means, right? And we should study it. We should have guides that are physicians and nurses and, uh, and we should go. That's what I think. Is it necessary? No. Is it helpful for some? Absolutely. Um, so use it as a tool. Oh, I'm glad, Isaac. Um, let's see now. Texas in Cali says, I started uh, Paxlovid last night and have GI upset and Paxlovid mouth thoughts. Should I keep taking it? Okay, I can't answer that medical question for you. You have to talk to your doctor. I'm sorry. 
It's interesting though, um, Paxlovid, complicated data is, because the original trials were in people who um, were unvaccinated and hadn't had COVID before. So we don't know really how it shows up in people who are vaccinated and have had COVID. It may not have much benefit, but all downside, but we don't know because the pharmaceutical companies don't have a great um, incentive to study it. But either way, talk to your doctor, please. I'm sorry you're going through that. Um, Arid says, can you explain how suffering manifests itself in the body? What a great question. There, there's not an explanation for this. Um, suffering is, okay, everybody here knows what suffering is. They may not be able to describe what it is, but it, 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 it is known, right? When we suffer, it has a certain signature and it may be a feeling of dissatisfaction. It may be as simple as that. It may be a feeling of discomfort. It may be a feeling of friction. It may be a feeling of longing. It may be a feeling of avoiding. It may be a feeling, it is always though, almost pretty much, I can't think of good exceptions. Suffering comes when there's resistance to what is. I'll say that again. Suffering comes when we resist what's actually occurring mentally. We mentally resist it. So let me give you an example of how that would feel in the body. There's a feeling, uh, you know, that gnawing sensation sometimes you get in your stomach because you had black coffee on an empty stomach or you drank too much last night or you've got an early gastritis or an ulcer or you're nervous about an interview. There's that feeling. Everybody knows what I'm talking about, but you may not be able to describe it very in a very detailed way, which is fine, but we know what we're pointing at. It's an energetic feeling, a sensation, and we localize it somewhere here in the, in the gut, sometimes in the chest, it can be a lot of places. Okay, let's say that arises right now because it never arises anywhere else but now, because there is no other time, place, or phenomena than now. Everything else is a thought that happens now. There's only now, and even now isn't existing because now implies there's a moment. There isn't a moment. There's just this radiance. So that shows up as a radiance. And very immediately, there's a thought that's reflected Thoughts are nothing but reflections of the five senses or of other thoughts. That's all thoughts are. Really think about that. Thoughts are reflections of the senses, like you can imagine an apple, it's a thought. You can imagine tomorrow, that's an image thought. It's a conceptual thought. You can imagine a sound, that's a reflection of hearing. You can imagine a sensation. And you can think of other thoughts that go to thoughts that go to thoughts. That's all thoughts are. They're reflections. They're a house of mirrors. So the sensation arises and immediately thought arises going, ooh. And it's, an, it's almost an unconscious energetic thought that says, I don't like this or something's wrong. And then we start to make distance. Then there's a story that arises. Oh, do I have an ulcer? Oh, I shouldn't have had that coffee. Oh, I wish this would go away. Oh, is this gonna mess with my interview? Oh, am I nauseous now? Oh, am I th gonna throw up? Oh, I shouldn't have taken that Advil. It's causing me discomfort on an empty stomach. 
that's suffering. Now you're making distance from what is. What happens if when that gnawing sensation arises, you go, ooh, gnawing sensation. Close your eyes, feel into it fully, unconditionally. Love it like a child that's trying to show you that it put its Legos together. It's showing up and it's like, look. Stay with it, stay with it. Let it show you what it wants to show you. Totally accepting, totally surrendered to it. It's what's here, so it is right. It has every right to be here because it is here. It has all the meaning in the world because it exists here now. So that's all the meaning it needs. It doesn't mean there's an ulcer. It doesn't mean there's not an ulcer. It's just this. Now, if thoughts arise, you notice them as thoughts. Is there suffering? No, there's just energy. There's just sensation. So how does suffering show up in the body? That arises, the thought stream happens, the resistance. Now the body lights up with more energetics. And it has this feeling of like, oh, and now there's thoughts about that. And there's distancing from that energetic. And so it's this cycle. It's felt in the body. It's felt in thought. It's felt energetically. It's the tone of suffering. And here's a little dirty secret that everyone in healthcare knows, every human knows. You can feel it in others. You know when they're suffering. We are suffering antennas because we know what it is in us. The minute we realize we suffer, we know everyone else does. And suddenly what arises is unconditional, spontaneous love in the face of that. Love and surrender to what is when you see someone else suffering. That's a whole nother talk. Um, Ann Brown says, what is happening to the sound? Your voice keeps dropping two octaves. Is that true? I should listen with my headphones. Is there something weird with the uh, sound guys? Let me know if that's true. Other people, or is it just my voice? <laughs> maybe, maybe there's something weird happening. I might've clicked the wrong button. Um, is there any trial on how to gauge pain levels on the body uh, that, are any, that any general practitioner can do? Well. Patter, uh, I don't know about trials. I know that gauging pain is very tough because pain is biopsychosocial. It's perception biologically, it's interpretation in the brain. It has to do with body sensation, energy, thought, and there's a social component. Like certain pains are acceptable socially, certain pains aren't in different cultures. Why do you think the US uses like 80% of the world's opioids, because in the US, it's socially conditioned that pain is not okay. In other cultures, it's part of life. So how do you measure that? Well, you ask the patient, that's all you can do. You can measure like biological responses to pain, correlation, sure, that's fine, but that's not pain. Pain is so infinitely complex. And there's a difference between pain which occurs and suffering, which is our resistance to the pain, our interpretation of the pain, which is related to exactly what I talked about uh, a minute ago. Yeah. KB Noble says suffering is relative. 
everyone's suffering varies based on personal experiences, right? Well, everything is everything is personal. Everything is also impersonal because actually there's not a you there, <laughs> but let's not talk about that right now. There's only this happening. So what you call suffering from your point of view is only you can know, only you can know. So you have no idea what other people's suffering is like really, but you do know that they are suffering. You can, that much we're directly in tune with. Um, hi, Michelle in Connecticut, sending some love. Um, will you post this live, please? I had to miss some. Yes, yes, yes. It'll be posted on, uh, I'll put, put the full thing on, uh, people who are supporters can see it on Locals, um, Facebook, uh, and YouTube, but we usually, either I'll release it as a whole thing on YouTube or I'll release it as clips on YouTube. So it'll be here and it stays on Instagram too. Uh, but Instagram's a pain in the ass to rewatch a video. Um, hmm. Your voice keeps changing higher and lower. So other people are saying this, that is so weird. I heard that it was in, an Instagram monitoring thing, says Holly. Ooh, that is really, really, really strange. I almost want to listen with my headphones because I know it's not my device doing this. It must be Instagram. Well, the good news is I have a clean recording of it, so I can tell after the fact. I have a recording here locally that has nothing to do with Instagram, so you guys will be able to watch it clean um, on YouTube or Facebook or somewhere where I post it. So don't worry about it. Yeah, isn't that weird? Other people are saying that. Hmm, that is so strange. It must be an Instagram thing. Um, pain is the gift that no one wants, Dr. Entity. There you go. Tone is great. Otherwise, you'd be monotone and that'd be boring. Yeah, there's that. Um, let's see. Now, some people have no audio problems. Um, you should put the headphones on. It's happening every few seconds, says Isaac. Okay. Let me listen. Hold on. Okay, let me see. I got to get back in my shot, see if this is working. Uh, there we go. All right, let's take a listen. Hello, how are you? I can hear me. I don't sound weird. Well, I'm weird, but that's a whole nother thing. Um, all right, I'll keep listening and see if anything changes in my headphones. So far, I'm not having any problems. Um, the minute I hear it, I'll, I'll tell you. There's an echo that fades in and out, typical for InstaLive, says Risa. Yeah, it's probably. Insta, InstaLive is just not, it's not an ideal live platform. Um, oh, and then Miss Beth says, everyone having problems needs to update their Instagram app. So that's probably true. That is always the case. Um, sounds like you're almost doing a Darth Vader voice. Yeah, it's it's the Insta app. I don't hear it. Uh, Nip. Nipahut, Nipahut Wellness says, 
maybe you mess messaging is uh, hitting people differently. <laughs> maybe <laughs> that's slight is vaguely magical thinking. I like it. Um, oh, it could be a buffering thing. That's right, Risa. That's that's good. Okay, well, I'm going to take these off then because they're dumb. Um, so. I think healthcare people in particular, I've, I've noticed something. Like I always wonder what am I supposed to do, you know? You're trying to listen to what the moment is telling you, like what is Zubin supposed to do? You know, COVID's over, not really talking about COVID. I recently did a medical uh, parody video, but it was for a internal thing for a company meeting. Uh, it was Ice Cube, uh, check yourself before you wreck yourself, but it was test yourself. Um, but that's not public. So that's just for fun and to keep the lights on. But the more I feel into it, the more I realize like, it's my fellow healthcare professionals that suffer so much. So we should talk about that. And whether there's a awakening, non-duality realization component to it, that's fine but there's enough to talk about there that we can help each other. Um, so I'm gonna try to talk about that a little more in the 2024. Um, Suze Kepler says, Sue Kepler says, if you're looking for a doctor, would you choose a traditional MD or a doctor that practiced integrative? So this is the thing, I don't make a distinction. I would look for anyone who is profoundly present and understands that everything is biopsychosocial. There are plenty of typical MDs that actually are like that, but it's more common in the integrative medicine space. Now, the difficulty with integrative medicine is there's a degree of magical thinking that can show up sometimes, and it's just another kind of dogma. So you go from Western medical dogma to integrative medical dogma, where it's like, okay, now we're talking about things that you know, like you caused your own cancer through your attitude and shit like that, that shows up in these spaces sometimes. Um, that's just tough to, tough to stomach. So the truth is, look, it doesn't matter what you call it or label it. It's, are you authentically here now as you, as the expression without a, a ton of fixation, attachment to belief and your own suffering that you haven't processed, your own shit that you haven't dealt with. And that can be felt in people. Um, it's tough. Forrest is a hospitalist, says definitely in the suck times 11 years, <laughs> looking at non-clinical options and nothing speaks to me. Oh, brother or sister, can't tell, can't see the... Uh, can't see the emoji or the uh, avatar very well from this distance. I was there directly where you are. The non-clinical stuff seemed awful. Like I'll just speak freely, like administrative stuff just seemed fucking soul crushing. <laughs> like after taking care of patients, it's really hard if you care about patients deeply it's hard to make that transition because you see that they're operating in a 2.0 kind of matrix and you have to then join that or not not work out. And it's just, it's like, what? Um, 
like even after residency, I was so kind of burned out because I just had just complete, I was like done. Right after residency, internal medicine residency, I went and worked for a couple of startups. This was like in 2002 and was pretty successful. Like found that I could do those things. Um, smart enough, had the experience clinically that I could work in these startups that were medically related, but weren't clinical. You make money, you get accolades, you get validation. Felt like shit, felt terrible. Couldn't continue. Um, because it didn't feel like taking care of patients, but then taking care of patients hurts so much. So it's like that catch 22. And so I just, when I got offered this job as a hospitalist at Stanford, I was like, okay, I'll give it a spin for like a little while while I'm getting my bearings. And it turned out it worked out because I had a team, I got to teach, I got support in the early days. Epic wasn't live yet, like it was read only. So everything was good. And uh, it really felt like me until it didn't. And then look for the next, okay, so what, what, what am I supposed to do? Well, I started making videos kind of like a cry for help. Well, okay, then that led to going to Vegas and starting a clinic. And at each stage, it felt correct until it didn't. And I guess what I'm saying is listen to what your body is telling you. The thoughts are one thing, that's fine. But what's, what's, what are you feeling in the body about your job? What is it? And when you really explore those emotions and feel into it, what's, what's, is, it's just not authentically you anymore or it's not right, well, then you have to keep looking. You owe it to yourself to keep looking. And you have to keep looking without regard, well, while being mindful of what your expectations are and how you're seeking validation and how you're seeking to avoid a sense of shame and unworthiness, and also how you're letting other people's societal consensus control what you do. Because we all do that to some degree. So once you see that, sometimes a snap can happen. Sometimes we call that awakening, where you realize I'm none of this. I'm not any of this story. And then you show up in a way that's like blatantly, you can't but be authentic. So you're gonna tell the people to fuck off that need to be told to fuck off. And a lot of times that's yourself because your whole idea about who you are is wrong. I am a hospitalist times 11 years. Okay, that's an identity. So what happens if that is yanked away? And of course, you have to think about Maslow's hierarchy and can you support your family and yourself? Okay, that'll show up. In most cases, that'll show up, especially if you're a doctor or a nurse or somebody who has this like accomplishment mindset. It's like, those things will show up. You will find a way to do that. Maybe not at the level you think you want, but it will show up. So I'm excited for you because I was there. There's struggle ahead, but there's also liberation. There's authenticity. There's spontaneity. There's non-resistance to what's showing up. Right now, what's showing up, it sounds like is you need to get the fuck out. That's what's showing up, it sounds like. Janet says, your live video is acting up. Your voice exceeds up to normal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a buffering thing for Instagram. It's Instagram's problem. Um. They'll fix it at some point, I'm sure. Uh, and if not, I have a recording of this that will be up on YouTube and uh, you'll be able to look at it there. 
Uh, oh, you're welcome, Forrest. Thanks for being here and asking great question. And for everything you do in medicine, man, or lady. I still don't know. I'm sorry. I can't see. Maybe I should. Uh, I'd have to put my glasses on. Hold on. Why shouldn't I put my glasses on? To be able to see Forrest's icon. Uh, can I see it? It's still too small. Never mind. <laughs> I'm sorry, Forrest. Wayne, are you? Are, what? What? What are your pronouns? <laughs> um, I don't know why I laughed at that, lady. Okay, lady Forrest. Actually, that to some degree does it matter. Hmm. There is a masculine and a feminine movement towards realization. Doesn't necessarily correlate to whether you're you identify as male or female. But there is a kind of movement. The female movement is a surrender and an enmeshment, and the masculine movement is a disintegrative break things down uh, to the to the core. They both work, although the feminine seems to work faster for many because it's a real surrender. Um, all right. Petter says, yes, if you have pride in your work, you want to be successful, but due to extreme workloads, it can become a struggle. Yeah, for sure. We, we, you know, many, many of us are suffering through that. Um, Mil Militia says, I just did the same thing. Uh, quit my job because my boss was so horrible, I quit. Yeah, and you know, If you really feel into this thing, it's never about your boss, it's about you. You're angry with yourself for staying in a abusive situation or for allowing that in a sense. And it's not saying, I'm not saying this is your fault. I'm saying we often mask our own self-hatred or self-blame as a projection of anger against others or blame on others. This is very common. I speak this from personal experience. Not everybody does this, but it's very common. It's so common that I could say everybody does this to some degree. When we think it's another, like our boss was mean. And you know, if it just wasn't for that boss, right? This is very, very, very common. And yeah, bosses are mean. I'm not saying they aren't. Um, and you can have good leaders and bad leaders. That definitely happens. Uh, but ultimately it's us. It really is. Um, we determine how we see reality. We determine whether we exist here and now and notice that all of life is happening and we show up as it spontaneously and perfectly, or we resist, we project, we deny, we don't allow shame to arise. We don't allow anger to arise. We resist it or we think it's bad instead of just feeling it and sometimes getting support, a lot of times getting support, getting help, friends, other people on the journey, therapists, whatever it takes. Can't. It's very hard to do alone. Not impossible, it's very hard. Um, okay. Anything else, you guys? Looking through comments, trying to see if there's anything. Um, yeah, I don't know much about workers' comp compensation industry, uh, Louis. Uh, it's tricky. 
Karen loves being an RN. That's beautiful. Um, okay. Well, I don't see any other um, comments except uh, that Risa says, now I want to rewatch Horrible Bosses. I don't know what that is, but it sounds awesome. I've been watching uh, more K-dramas lately. Uh, Marry My Husband on Amazon Prime. Good drama. Good drama. Great premise. Um, highly, highly recommend. Hi, Kimber. All right, go Chiefs. <laughs> Until next, says Kimber. Until next time, I don't even know what that means. I don't follow sports at all. I imagine Kansas City, uh, which is great. Um, go Chiefs. Until next time, we are out. Peace. Hey, it's Dr. Z. Thanks for getting through the whole episode. That's a huge accomplishment. <laughs> and so at this point, I just got to ask you for a few favors because it just helps us so much if you leave a review on your favorite podcast platform and subscribe. It, it just really helps the algorithm to get this message out to others. The second thing is email me, hello at zdogmd.com. I get all these emails personally. I can't respond to them all, but I need to hear your voice because especially on podcast, we don't have a comment section. And I wanna hear how this episode affected you, what you'd like to hear in the future, what you think we got wrong, what we think we got right, anything, anything, or just say hi. So that's really powerful. And the third thing is, Financially, it helps us a lot to support the show in any way you can. And if you go to zdogmd.com forward slash supporters, you can join our supporter tribe on your favorite platform, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, wherever. What that will get you on those platforms is live shows with me that are exclusive for supporters and access to our Zoom meetings where we talk about awakening realization and we share with each other our own experience. It's a powerful group effect. It's a community, really. And we support and love each other and share, again, through our own experience, how we're waking up. So, and that that ripples out into systems, into transforming healthcare and education and government. So it st really starts with us. So join us there if you can. Again, zdogmd.com forward slash supporters. And I'm so grateful to have you with us.